Leading a school in the middle of an education revolution, I draw upon the wisdom of experts and educational visionaries to identify future realities and gain direction from where we are to where we need to be. Please join me as we identify our final destination and map out a path through the uncharted. Thank you for joining me on Asking for Directions. I am your host, Matt Owsley. Our guest today has been a teacher, a principal at multiple levels, and is currently a university professor, public speaker, and best-selling author. He has written over 50 books and is one of the nation's leading authorities in all things education. I am extremely excited to welcome Dr. Todd Whitaker. Well, I'm honored to be here. I know that we have some uh, challenging and uh, uh, unusual times right now, but I appreciate the chance to have it, uh, to be able to visit and work with you. You actually came out to my school district about 10 years ago, and I had already read some of what you had written prior to that, but that really was something that turned me on to the different things that you have done. And, and so I, I took a, a big chance after that, and I started my doctoral program, and, uh, and I had some questions about a dissertation idea that I was interested in, and uh, I had asked you if, uh, if I could pick your brain a little bit. Now, here I am on the other side of the country having a question that doesn't really impact you at all, and you're a big name in education, and I'm not, and I reach out to you and say, will you help me out with this? And in a heartbeat, before I knew it, you said yes, and I believe you spoke to me on the phone when you were in an airport, um, and I just want you to know how much that meant to me, and that spoke so much about you as a person, and so I just wanted to start by saying thank you so much for that. And I guess people don't change that much because here I am again asking you for help and you're graciously giving me your time. So thank you so much for all of that. Well, Matt, that's awfully nice of you. But understand, before you give me too much credit, realize I was probably bored to death in the airport and was very glad to have a chance to visit with you. The other thing is, it's funny, I've directed lots and lots and lots of doctoral dissertations. And uh, I always say... Um, I think like a dissertation, which is why I don't have any friends. And my wife always says, Todd, that's not why you don't have any friends. And somehow I think that's hurtful. So, uh, but congratulations. And uh, re remember this, uh, no one is ever sad they got their doctorate. They're only sad they didn't. And there are very few occasions in life where you change your name. And that's one of them. And that tells you what a big deal it is. Right. Congratulations. Right. Yeah, thank you. So one of the things that you had mentioned at the beginning of this is just the, uh, the difficult time that we're in. Um, right now. And I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the current situation that we're in, but of course, it's going to uh, tint some of the conversation. And so going back to what you had said, you have that presentation on motivating people during difficult times. Um, I think many people would qualify this as a difficult time. And so if you can share some ways that you would motivate and inspire your staff in the current situation, any ideas or, or tips or anything that you have for us? Um, sure. And, and I think your audience are probably experts. I know you're an expert too. And so all I'm doing is just adding to the pile. It's not like this is the, the best direction to go to. But one of the things to realize is you can't build a relationship when you need a relationship. So if we're in a crisis now and you haven't built a relationship, you're not going to build it. And I'm not trying to be mean. You're just not going to do that. It's like trying to call a parent and suspend their child and build a relationship with that parent on that same phone call. I sure hope you've called them when there wasn't stress that you could build a relationship and then you have a connection whenever you have to deliver bad news. 
but there's nothing we can do. It's too late now. We're in the middle of it. So all we can do is go forward. But I think that's really important to keep in mind. The other thing I think that's really important is, and this is an opportunity for leaders, and I'm not saying this in a, and I'm not trying to be like falsely upbeat at all. Typically during times of crisis, leadership, leaders get huge bumps in what people think of them. You know, a real famous one, George Bush during 9-11, whatever you think, this isn't a political thing, it's just an example we all can understand. You know, his ratings were in the 90 percentile. And for a president to be at the 90th percentile, that's really incredible. And part of it is, that's the time you don't want to be the leader. When something happens, I don't want to be the leader anymore. And so, you know, when he walked out to Yankee Stadium and threw out that first pitch, do you know nobody watching wanted to be walking out to the mound at Yankee Stadium and throwing out that first pitch? They were glad somebody else was doing it. Um, and so there is that, that bump there. But one of the most critical things to do this, and, and these things are all applicable everywhere. I said the other day, I said, People always look to leaders, but during times of crisis, they stare. You know, during times of crisis, I'm studying every move you make. The rest of the time, I'm glancing at you, I'm looking at you, I'm doing this. But during this time, I'm, I'm wanting direction. And when the number one thing that we have to do, but this applies at all times, it's just during leadership, it really is revealed. Um, I always say crisis always re uh, reveals real leadership or exposes the lack thereof, you know. And the number one thing a leader has to do is you have to accept responsibility. You, are, you might as well accept it because you are responsible. There's, there's no pretending. You're responsible. No one's going to look to anyone else. They're going to look to you. You know, I'll give you a couple of examples that are common examples. A, a lot of times in schools now, when the principal wants to hire an assistant principal, they'll put a committee together. And it'll be teachers and students and parents and, you know, just different people, different schools handle it different ways. And boy, that seems like a wonderful idea, doesn't it? Doesn't that just seem like a great idea? But what's really strange is nobody on that committee is going to take responsibility if the wrong decision's made. There, two years later, when people are mad at the new assistant principal in the teacher's lounge, no teacher's going to go, you can blame me. I was on that committee. Boy, I, I'd be blaming me. Instead, what they're doing, they're blaming the principal. So when you're a principal, understand, you do it many times. If, you, if you're doing it because it'll help you get a better hire, do it. If you're doing it so that you don't get the blame, don't do it. Because you're going to get the blame anyhow, if that makes any sense. So you might as well do whatever process gets the best person. Because when you hire the new assistant principal, you know all people want? They just want to be supported. And if that new assistant principal supports them, they don't care what the process is. And if the new assistant principal doesn't support them, they don't care what the process is. Right. You know, and you just have to understand that. I remember I was a, a principal at a, one of my schools for, I'd been there like a week. And school hadn't started yet. Teachers weren't reporting. You know, I'm working during the summer. So we have a real skeleton staff, myself, and a couple of uh, office receptionists, clerical secretaries, whatever. And um, I'd, I'd been there maybe a week. And the secretary came in panicked, literally panicked, because three UPS trucks had showed up outside the door. And she goes, they're bringing in 100 boxes. She goes, and I meant to order 10, and I accidentally ordered 100. And if you've ever seen the old uh, a black and white version of Miracle on 34th Street, when the mailmen come bringing in all the letters to show that this really is Santa Claus, I don't want to have a spoiler alert here, but to show it really is Santa Claus, that's what it was like. Literally, UPS people are walking in, UPS workers are walking in with these boxes. She came in panicked. 
I said, it'll be okay, I'll call the company. I call the company and I say to the company, and she's sitting right there nervous as can be, it's a week and she's worried about what the new boss thinks, plus she botched up, you know. And I called the company and I go, listen, I botched up. I'm kind of an idiot, I'm brand new. Um, I don't even think I wore deodorant today and I accidentally ordered a hundred boxes here. What do I need to do? I know they put me on speakerphone, so their whole office was laughing at me and making fun of me. But you know what they said? Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Go ahead and take 10 and we'll take the 90 back. We won't even charge you for shipping. We have a return policy. And so that's no problem at all. What do you think that secretary thought of me? Had her back. And, but think about this. What diff, why would I not take responsibility? I'm going to get blamed anyhow. Is a superintendent going to call and go, my land, which secretary blew this? Instead, the superintendent's going to call and go, what were you doing ordering 100 boxes? And so go ahead and take the responsibility. It takes pressure off of other people. And all you have to do is watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life. That's where you learn everything. George Bailey is going to go out of business because Uncle Billy lost $8,000. He goes begging to Mr. Potter. And you know what he says, Mr. Potter? I lost $8,000. What difference does it make? I don't know anything about your state or the states of listeners, and this is not a political statement. It's amazing how in some states, governors have taken the lead and shut down schools, shut down the state. Whatever you think of that, realize, do you know who that took the pressure off of? The superintendents. Because now they don't have to make that decision. They have to live with the decision and figure out what to do. But no matter what they decided, they were going to have to live with that decision and figure out what to do. And in other states, you know what governors are doing? Oh, I'll just let all the local mayors decide. I'll let all the local community boards, I'll let the superintendents decide. And what's interesting is they thought that took the pressure off them. But it, that's not leadership. That's not what leadership is. You are responsible. Don't pretend you're not responsible because you're gonna get blamed anyhow. And that's so important. Think of in your school district, the superintendent said, well, I can't decide if we should shut down or not. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna let each principal decide. You know, that's what they're there for. And each principal goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. You know what, I'll let each teacher decide if they're clear. You know, if their kids wash their hands a lot and they don't have many boys, their likelihood they wash their hands is higher. I'll let each <laughs> teacher decide. And all of a sudden what happens is, look at where the pressure is. It's on, on levels that shouldn't be having to make those decisions and having to uh, handle that kind of pressure. And that's the same thing. So go ahead and take that responsibility because you're going to get blamed anyhow. And that's so critical. Another thing that's essential during this time is communication. I always say in the absence of communication, the rumor mill fills the void. And the rumor mill is really, really, really good at filling the void. Yeah. And very seldom do you want them to fill the void. Just think if you have a situation where, and I don't know anything about your district, Matt, or anyone's listening, so this yeah. is, uh, let's say you have a situation where all of a sudden in the sort of in the middle of the night, the superintendent leaves. Nobody shares why, okay? Do you think the rumor mill is gonna have positive reasons and thinking maybe they went back to go take care of their mother? And then when the board doesn't communicate about the process in hiring a new superintendent, what the timeline is, then everyone fills it in. And next thing you know, people are saying they're pretty sure Britney Spears is going to be the next superintendent or post Malone. I mean, one of the two, you know. And so um, that's how come that's so important related to communication. The same way in leadership. Think about this. In the absence of leadership, everybody tries to fill the void. And it's almost always the strong negative personalities that succeed. If you take over a school or a district that's dysfunctional, the negative strong personalities are running the dang school. 
Yeah. And, and that's a come it's so hard for a new leader because you come in and those people have power and they don't want to give it away. And that's one of the challenges we have. And so those are just some core things, but they always come into play that way. Um, and, and I think people give you a white sweat. You know, it's really funny. You know what people really want from a leader? You can ask characteristics of leaders and people say, I want this and I want this and I want this. But you know what people really want in a leader, Matt? What's that? They want them to be good. That's it. They want them to be good. I just finished a, writing a chapter for a um, new edition of What Great Principles Do Differently. Uh, it's supposed to be out this month. And um, one of the things I said is leadership's not an event. You know, I love it if a principal kisses a pig. I think that's funny. <laughs> but do you know what? If you don't have any credibility, people are laughing at you, not with you. Right, right. I, I was in a Sam's Club. Do you know what a Sam's Club is, Matt? Yeah, yeah, we have. I don't want to brag, but I'm a member. Um, <laughs> One of the highlights of my life is I go in that hour early and I just look at the peons that can't get in um, and because I'm a business member. Anyhow, um, and I've got toilet paper everywhere in the house thanks to that. But those are jokes. You don't have to invade my house, by the way, because people are now going to be under attack. Um, I was at a Sam's Club in Columbia, Missouri, where I live, checking out. And there was a guy in a dinosaur suit dancing. And it's, a, you know, you're a little weird, worried and society now what's this person that has you know a disguise and a dinosaur suit well i felt better because the clerk was laughing really nice clerk a gentleman he was laughing and he said that's our manager we love him that's our boss we love him a lady behind me in line who was just a customer like me said boy i wish my boss wore a dinosaur suit and i said no you don't you wish your boss was good all you wish is your boss was good. If your boss is good, wearing a dinosaur suit's cool. If a boss is no good, you're going, who's the asshat in the dinosaur suit? And that's the thing that's so important related to this. And um, the other thing I think that's important when you talk about motivation and morale is make people feel important, make them feel special. But one of the things, and any of you who have read uh, Shifting the Monkey, it's one of my books. I'm, I'm not a book, I'm truly not a book salesman at all. The only reason I ever mention books is because they're so specific. If you want to know how to do it, this book tells you how to do it. You don't have to guess. This isn't a theory, okay? It's where do I stand? Where do I sit? How do I say it? When do I start it? How do I end it? All of those things give people confidence, and confidence is the most valuable gift a leader can give. And one of the things we do in, in Shifting the Monkey, I talk about blanket monkeys and I talk about, um, and a lot of times it's a negative way, that instead of dealing with one teacher, Matt, a principal will talk to all the teachers at the faculty meeting about one right. teacher. Right. You know, that's a blanket monkey. We throw it on everybody instead of placing it on the person it should be placed on. Yep. And a person will say something like, um, sometimes some of you teachers are coming late, sometimes some of you teachers. And which teacher is most offended? Right, the one that's never late. The good one. <laughs> Right. right. The one whose life, like ours, is completely driven by guilt, you know. And you know what they're thinking? What are you talking to me for? Why don't you talk to her? She's not even here yet. Right. And that's an example of blanket monkey. Well, we also blanket monkey positives, which lose weakness, too. You will never hear a teacher say all the teachers in the school are great. You'll never hear a great teacher. I apologize. You'll never hear a great teacher say all the teachers in the school are great. Do you know why a great teacher doesn't say it, Matt? Uh, because they feel like there's room for themselves to grow. Nope, because they don't lie. They know some of the people aren't great. They know it. They've been in their rooms. They hear how they talk about kids 
Whenever they're in a bad mood, they hear it. They know they're not great. And do you know what great teachers say? We got a lot of great teachers here. Boy, we got a lot of great teachers here. You'll never hear a great principal say all the teachers in this school are great. Because if you say all the teachers in this school are great, Matt, who did you just insult? Who's that? The great ones. The great ones. They don't want to be in a club with some of these other people. Right. And I don't mean it mean. I'm just talking about their expectations are so high. So they're going, you think of me like them? And instead, it's that individual recognition and individual valuing and individual praise. And there's nothing wrong with saying, boy, we got a lot of great teachers here. I love being at this school because our faculty is so strong. But realize when you say all the teachers are great, what you're really doing is you're really kind of putting down the good people. Right. And they know it. They're, they're going to be so sensitive about that way. If you really want to lead, the key is leading your high achievers. That's really the key to a school because the high achievers are the ones that are going to move the school forward anyhow. I'm going to give you an example about during normal times, and I'm going to then apply it to our current times okay. in terms of how to make someone value. I want you to think about this personalization. Go into the best teacher in your school's classroom, but go into it when they need it. Don't go in there the first day of school when everybody's happy and perky. Don't go in there when you need it, even though that's a possibility. You know, there's times that it's, it's just, you have stretches where, what did somebody say? March has been the longest year of the, of the month. You know, I mean, it's just that would last, you know, when we're, we have our uh, hunkering down. Um, and, but go into it when they really need it. You know, just that time of the year when everybody's whipped. You know, maybe they've had a couple of different struggling situations, whatever this is. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's professional. Go into your best teacher's classroom and leave one note. Write this one note for your best teacher. Write a note that says, I was sitting down in the office and I forgot what school was. And I wanted to come into your classroom so that I could remember what school was. Thanks for being here for all the students. And, and thanks for being here for me. How does that make people feel? Yeah, great. My audience members, how many of you have never gotten a note that nice in your life and you married someone? <laughs> but realize we can do that same thing now. Matt, me just commenting in a blanket way, boy, the teachers are great. Boy, you all have responded. Boy, you've been outstanding. I'm not saying it's a negative. It's just not a, in particular a positive. Right. Make a call to your best teacher and say, you know what I miss most about school? You. Isn't that really what you most missed about school? Don't tell me it's lunch duty, don't pretend. It's the teachers. When I left and went into higher education, people go, don't you miss the students? And I go, I miss the teachers. Who's the constant in the school? When you go into your best teacher's classroom, you're not amazed at the students, you're amazed at that teacher. Because they make the students amazing, but you know it's that teacher, don't you? Yeah. And let them know. Text them individually, contact them, and don't keep a checklist. I never have a list of 50 teachers. It's this person's turn, it's this person's turn, because that's so disingenuous, that's gross. And I always say, try it with as many people as you can. Look for the good part, sometimes you have to squint. But, but it's, it's making those individual contacts and just saying, do you know what I miss more than anything else? Walking into your class on Tuesday morning and getting to hear you read to the kids. Do you know what I miss so much? And write one of the cooks. Do you know what I miss so much? Whenever you give me your food and say, enjoy today, 
whatever it is people do. And the things with the custodians, it isn't, you don't miss them that they clean the bathroom stalls well. And you appreciate it. I'm not trying to run that down at all. That's important. You miss them because they smile, because they're friendly, because they try to serve, because they think of the school, because they do little things that you don't even have to ask them to do. And if you ask them to do something, they say, I'll be happy to do it, or they thank you, or they're friendly. That's what you miss, isn't it? And isn't that the same thing you miss in your teachers? And that's how come great principals understand their role is to teach their teachers. Average principals think their role is to teach the students. See, if you teach all the students, you know what's sad? A bunch of them are gone the next year. What a waste of time that was. I taught all these students and they're all gone. And if you don't teach all the teachers, you know what the problem is? A bunch of them aren't gone the next year. And it's understanding it's the teachers that make a difference in the school. My superintendent friends who are listening, you have two ways to improve your school district. Do you know the only two ways to improve your school district? Hire better principals and improve the ones you got. And if you think anything else is going to improve your school, you're just wasting your time. And the principals know, the great principals know they have two ways to improve their schools. Hire better teachers and improve the ones you have. That's it. The other thing I want to share, especially for leaders, but leaders can mean formal and informal, Matt. I, I, I don't right, that you... Right. In your school, some of your very best leaders are not the principal, assistant principal. They're, they don't have any role, title at all. Absolutely. Right. And, and everyone is a leader. Uh, and it's just like everyone's a role model. There's just a couple of people you hope nobody's looking at. But um, one of the things to understand related to leaders, and I just forgot what I was going to say because I tried to tell a funny joke and it wasn't that funny, but I told it. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask one other thing. Here's one other thing during this crisis. I don't want hero ball. I used to coach. Hero ball is when you have a basketball player in the last one minute, doesn't play like they played all game, and now they just try to hog the ball and they try to do everything. That's hero ball. I hear principals and leaders and superintendents say all the time, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't do myself. That is absurd. I ask people to do things I wouldn't do all the time. And you know why? Because there's so many things I do they don't want to do. Right. I'm, I'm afraid of heights. I'm Mr. Sissy Slap Boy when it comes to heights. I'm afraid of heights. If the roof needs checking, you know what I do? I ask the custodian to do it. Do you know why I ask the custodian to do it? And I don't feel guilty? Because that custodian, he or she doesn't want to deal with that belligerent parent to just walk through that door. They do right. not want to deal with that belligerent parent. You know what's weird? I don't mind dealing with that belligerent parent. I kind of like it, believe it or not. I'm weird. I, I kind of see it as a challenge. And they think it's a great, they'd rather be on the roof when that parent comes in the door. Right. And if both of us are on the roof, nobody's there to work with the parent. And if nobody's, if, if both of us are dealing with the parent, nobody's on the roof. So, so there isn't a hero ball here in terms of this. There isn't. And I think that's so important related to that. I was trying to think of what it was that I forgot. And now I can't remember. Um, do you have any other questions or thoughts, Matt? So it'll pop into my head. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You people well, aren't missing anything anyhow if they, you don't hear from Oh, I know what I was going to Can I share with you one thought right now? Yeah, of course. This is for leaders. This is what I was going to say. We also, uh, the, a crisis is a leverage point for your culture. It could move the culture up or it could move the culture down. But what I would encourage leaders to think about, and I'm not saying this in, in a positive, it's a, this crisis is a terribly frightening thing. It is a terribly, my mom's 95. You don't think I'm scared every day about coronavirus? The, the leverage, this, this culture is a leverage point, but rather than thinking, how do I maintain? I want you to think of this as how do I have, take this crisis and when we come back, we move the culture up in a positive direction. I'm gonna give you a quick example. 
let's pretend, and I know, Matt, different schools and different states have different things, so I'm just going to use an example here, and you can apply it to your own setting. Yeah. Let's pretend that you, you find out that you're going to come back to school May 1st, okay, for like three weeks, and that's all you have May 1st, and the teachers are coming back April 30th. So you have one day with the teachers, and then school starts May 1st. And you decide, and you talk to the teachers, and you have a meeting, and everyone agrees, boy, the kids have come from all different emotional places. Some of them see it as a vacation. You know, some of them, it's been very hard. Some of them, they're, they know somebody who's gotten ill. Uh, yeah. They know people who've lost their job. So it's, it's all over the place. It's not like there's one feeling from all the kids. But the teachers decide, you know what, and, you, and, and the principal, and they all talk, and you decide, you know what, it's really important we make the kids feel welcome. So let's really go out of our way to greet all the kids the, the first day they come back. Okay. There won't be much pushback. I think people will do it. 98 plus percent of the, the faculty will, will do that voluntarily. And you could talk to the custodians and the cooks and the secretaries and the bus drivers and everybody about doing that. Okay. That might not be something that typically people have historically done, or that might not have been a conversation, but everybody greets all the kids. If you do it one day, you affect the climate. That's the climate. The climate is today's weather. Okay. You affect the climate of the school. Did you know, once you do that, if you never stop, you affect the culture of the school. But what you have to do as a leader is you have to then make this a constant. So you talk about it that first day and the teachers do it. And you know what you do four days later in your Friday focus? You write, I heard from so many kids that love the way the teachers greet them. You all have been doing a wonderful job on this and you're infusing that into your school. See, if you change today, you change the climate. If you never change back, you change the culture. Think about this. Let's pretend, and I know some schools have things like faculty meetings where there could be emotionally reserved seating at a faculty meeting. And some of the emotionally reserved seating could be for more negative people in the back, together in the back near the door, whatever. Well, you know what? Wouldn't this crisis be a way to address seating? Hasn't there been thing about social distancing and, and all this type of thing? Um, in which now all of a sudden it's an excuse to rearrange the room, move into a different location, assign seats, whatever you need. All of a sudden you end up with better seating where this emotionally reserved negative group is not together. Well, then you do it once and you just keep doing it. And that's a way to affect the culture. The last thing is, if you would like to change the culture, never mention the word culture. When you mention the word culture, the culture gets stronger. If it culture gets is the strongest point when it feels threatened, you have to do this through the back door. Don't say, we're going to change the culture by greeting kids. Instead, just start greeting kids and then change the culture. It's like I get calls from people all the time about doing stuff, and somebody will go, Todd, could you come and do a workshop on team building? And I go, sure. I go, and let's call it team building so everyone vomits at the same time. <laughs> or let's just infuse team building into what we're going to do, and at the end of the day, do you know what people say? Those activities where we all work together was really cool. Do you like to do more of that? And I go, guys, if you want to, I'll be happy to try to do it. And that's the way to think about this. But I don't want you to think about how do I make sure my culture maintains? I want you to think about how do, my, how do I make sure my culture makes gains? And I want you to think about that related to this. Okay, go ahead, Matt. Now that I'm, that's up, my head was going to explode if I couldn't remember what it was. No, no, I, I really appreciate you, uh, you saying all that because um, – I, so I, when I plan out all of my uh, podcasts, I kind of write my, uh, my questions out and um, you're so good. You already answered uh, some of the ones I was going to ask. So it didn't matter. You didn't take extra time. You just, uh, you cut out my talking, which is going to be the worst part of the podcast. So this is all okay. <laughs> 
Uh, but um, the other thing is that Matt's so kind. I know he's just going to edit almost everything I say, so it doesn't bother. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, you talked a lot about, um, you know, just a couple things uh, real quick. You know, one of the things you talked about was uh, that communication is so important and, and that uh, people will fill the void if you leave it um, with whatever they believe um, you know, and so, or, or I guess what they, what they think is there, the way that I always think about that is almost like a little kid and, uh, and thinking there's a monster in the closet. If they don't know what's in the closet, they always fill it with the worst thing. You never have a kid with a dark closet in the room saying, oh, I bet there's presents in there or something neat, or they fill it with the worst. And so I, I really appreciate you saying that about uh, making sure that you're communicating well during this time, because I think that's really important. Um, and one of the things, one of the ways that I see that uh, happening, and I don't know if it's uh, because of a lack of communication or not, but one of the negatives is uh, with social media right now, you have people who are negative. How would you mitigate those damages? You know, it's, it's really funny. One of the things that I, I believe leaders have to do is I believe we have to treat everyone with respect and dignity every single day. Revenge is for suckers. If somebody says something bad about you and you go and try to get back at them, that is so small. What, what kind of a leader is that? That's nobody. And, and so it's, I think I treat everybody with respect and dignity every single day. If you know me and you have that relationship, I always say this, I can't control what people say about me, but all I can do is treat you with such respect and dignity that when other people say bad things about me, there's a chance you won't believe them. And I think that's what it is. You know, what's interesting is social media can influence you, Matt, with people you don't know. What could go on social media that would influence your opinion of your superintendent? And I don't know your opinion of your superintendent, but whatever it is, your, your personal relationship with them, good or bad. And Matt, I'm not, I, if in case the superintendent's listening, I don't know anything about this. I'm just talking. He's wonderful. If she's listening, yeah, okay. she's wonderful. And if she's not listening, she's wonderful. Gotcha. I understand that. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, but understand this social media couldn't influence your opinion about her. Good or bad. If there were positive things about her, it's not going to sway your opinion. If there's negative things about her, it's not going to sway your opinion because you know her. That's a come as a leader. You make positive phone calls. You make positive contact. You have contests to get as many people as possible to open house night and back to school night. There's only one purpose of open house night. It's glad hand. That's it. It's to build relationships. Nobody cares about the stupid grading policies. Nobody cares what, what your curriculum are. You know what they care about when they come to open house night? That people are going to take care of their kids. That's all they care about. And as a leader, I have to seek out those opportunities to glad hand, to be at events, to be friendly, to, to, to welcome people, to warm people. We used to have contests. We would, my last school had 1,200 middle school kids. We made personal phone calls, kids did, to, and this is middle school, we called 1,200 homes and invited them to open house night. Wow. And we gave the kids scripts. Do you know why I had to give the kids scripts? Because they're middle school kids. And if I don't give them a script on what every third call is going to have the word thunderbutt. And that's not <laughs> near as inviting a term as it seems like, you know. And so <laughs> they would literally call 1,200. We only tried once. If the phone was busy, Matt, we went on. Nothing personal. It's just, we, you know, you can't, you can't make a note that call them back. If nobody answered, here's what you say if you get a leave a message. Here's what you say if you do this. Here's what you say if you do this. And I want you to think about this. Instead of those personal things, how many times have we replaced this now with emails? 
And unless you know someone really well, an email filters out so many things about what that is. Now, if it's your spouse or a child or somebody you interact with regularly, you hear their voice in the email. But if not, that leaves that up. Never deliver bad news in writing. The worse the news, the more effort that goes into delivering it. But if I have personal contact and personal work, do you know how I build, uh, the best way to build relationships with parents is make sure every one of their kids has a really good teacher. If, if your child doesn't have a good, yeah, it's funny. Somebody talked about we need more parental involvement in schools. No, we don't. We need more parental involvement away from schools. You know what we really need? Really, really good teachers. Right. If your child has a great teacher, you're involved with that school. And if your child doesn't have a great teacher, I don't even want you involved with the school. It's not your job as a parent to fix the teacher. That's the principal's job. Right. And, and but if all of my kids just think about the con you talk about confidence, think about the confidence you have. Matt, as a principal, if you get a call from a parent and they're in your best teacher's classroom, are you ever worried at all about calling that parent back? Nope. No. No. And even if the parent's complaining, you're thinking, what's wrong with you? Right. And, 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 see, and it's understanding that. It's funny. I'll tell you a story. I was in Mississippi recently working with a, a statewide conference. It may have been one of the very last things I did before we uh, had the, I, the social distancing process going on. And it was a statewide conference. And I typically go around and meet and introduce myself to um, people in the room. And it was, there was several hundred people and I happened to come on a table and I could tell these four people were sharp principals. I mean, just sharp. I could just tell. And anyhow, I picked out the sharpest one and I, and the, the, my topic was leading school change. And I, so I'm and before, you know, before the thing starts, I'm just interacting informally. And I said to the sharpest person, what's one change you'd like to make in your school? She goes, I wish every kid would come to school excited about learning. And I asked the other three principals and they, they thought that, you know, that principal had a great idea and they're going, yeah, I agree. That's what I wish too. And I said, you all need to aim higher. You also need to aim for something you can influence. Okay. How does the most challenging kid in your school walk into the best teacher in your school's classroom? And they said, excited about learning. I said, how does the best kid in your school walk into the worst teacher in your school's classroom? Not excited about learning. I wouldn't be worried about the kids' attitudes. I'd be worried about the teachers I have in my school because they're the ones that can impact that more than anything else. But if we're waiting for the kids to all change, tell me how long we're going to be waiting for that. Right. And realize, it, you know, isn't that funny? It, you don't even think about the kids' attitude when they're coming to school and they walk into your best teacher's classroom because you know what their kids' attitude is when they walk into that classroom, don't you? Yep. And that's the thing we have to focus on and understand. Um, and, 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 and so that's helpful. The other thing I also wanted to mention this, and this is during this time, but it's, it's during all times. We are, we've been in a mad scramble environment. And I tweeted last night, uh, one, of the biggest challenge, one of the biggest obstacles to distance education in this crisis is there wasn't a dress rehearsal. Instead, we went straight to opening night. But I wanna share this, and this is part of what a leader can do. One of the frustrations for people is that, I have three kids that don't join. I have two kids that don't do these activities. I have, now we're going uh, pass fail, and I wanna give grades to hold these kids accountable. It's the same attitude we have in school that we have away from school, because it's internal in people. Right, right. But here's what I want you to do as a leader, though. I want you to let people off the hook. 
help frame this thinking right now because of the fact we're in reactionary mode in terms of trying to do distance education. Now, we didn't get a practice. You know, we just went home and then all of a sudden we're trying to do this. Are you better off if five kids do it or no kids do it? Are you better off if eight teachers do it or no teachers do it? We're not in the perfection business. We're in the improvement business. And help the teachers understand you have 12 out of 25 kids doing it. Make those 12 feel so special that they keep coming back while we try to add the others. But if we never add the others, and Matt, I'm not making light. I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about giving up on kids. But if we don't, yeah. are you better off if those 12 kids did it or if no kids did it? And you have 12 salesmen now. Somebody said, Todd, you shouldn't just, you, uh, you shouldn't preach to the choir. I go, you better preach to the choir. Or they're going to stop coming. <laughs> right. And if they stop coming, nobody's going to want to be at that church. And it's that same thing here. And that's what you have to do as a leader. You have to reinforce the effort, not just the outcome. I was a basketball coach. My first team was, was terrible. I started four sophomores and a freshman. If I could only reinforce the outcome on games we won, I didn't have very many outcomes to reinforce. But if I could reinforce them on short moments, on effort, on particular things, I had lots to reinforce. And that's the same way you have to think of as a leader. Um, I always say if you're moving from zero to 10, the hardest one to move is zero to one. And, and I'll be honest, if, if you have 48, if you have 50 teachers and 48 of them are doing it, you know, I don't know what you're going to do about the other two but I'm worried about the 48 giving up. I'm worried about the 48 becoming discouraged. As myself, as a principal, do you know how come I could be in classrooms every single day? Do you know what I decided as a principal? I was a high school principal at 25. Do you know what I decided? Wow. I decided that the kid who gets sent to the office is the least important student in the school and we're gonna quit making them out to be the most important student in the school. And nobody defends teachers like I do, but I'm not in a hurry. Why would I stop being in classes because a kid got sent to the office? Right. Is there a teacher in the school in a hurry to get the kid back? but I have to teach my teachers that so they understand. Think about this, if you have a good secretary, they can handle three dysfunctional students better than your three worst teachers can handle the three dysfunctional students. My last school have 1200 middle school kids. I spend time with the 1199 not sitting down in the office because that one sitting down in the office will still be there when I get there and I'm gonna deal with them and nobody's gonna be more supportive than me and I'm never gonna humiliate or belittle that kid. But why would I hurry? Right. Let's focus on the 1199. I think this environment is a perfect example. Here's the other example. Many states, maybe all, have eliminated standardized testing if they had spring testing. What an opportunity. You really get to teach now. You really get to teach what's important now. You don't have to be test-driven or standard-driven. You can be love-of-learning-driven. Take advantage of it. Right. This is the chance of a lifetime. And maybe you think of this distance education as practicing for snow days next year. You know, that I get better at it, the kids get better at it, we get more used to it. Maybe we think of it as that. But I don't, I don't, I don't have a solution, but it's that. And, but reinforce the effort. Don't just reinforce the outcome because you don't get a chance to reinforce as many things if you only reinforce positive outcomes. If you were to go back in the vault here, either from things that you had done or things that you had seen other people do, what was your favorite thing that you've seen or that you did to show appreciation for teachers? Uh, um, one, the guiding principle that's probably my core guiding principle is make every decision based on the best people and you never make a wrong decision. 
Because also, do you know how you know how I know when to deal with negative people when my good people want me to? They're not worried about nitpicky little things. They want me to deal with them when they feel like there's no learning taking place in their class, when there's harm being done to students, when teachers are being rude or disrespectful to students. They give me that guidance. The other thing is they also tell me if I'm doing too much. The best teacher should never be perceived as the principal's pet, but they better be the principal's pet. Because if they're perceived as the principal's pet, you lose credibility. And so I think the, the number one thing, because I really mean it when I say leadership's not an event, I think it's the daily, it's the constant reinforcement, the valuing, the making feel important and special. Somebody asked yesterday on a Zoom, they said, I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed with communication from uh, my central office, what's too much? And I said, it's not too much, it's just the wrong kind. Matt, and this is, uh, Matt, uh, do you have any friends, Okay, my, I, I'm married. My wife and I have been married for 33 years. Do you think my wife likes it if I say she looks pretty? Oh, sure. Okay. Do you think that gets old? No. Okay. So it isn't the amount of communication, is it? No. Okay. But do you think if I said to my wife, honey, that di- we went to a, a dinner party, you know, as people were dressed up, and I go, honey, you look great. I'm not kidding. You were the second best looking woman in that room. Oh, boy. Okay, that seems like a compliment, but do you think she likes that? No, not okay. at all. And you know what she says? You say stuff like, you know, now she wants to limit, but it isn't the quantity, it's the quality. And I think that that's a lot of what that limitation is. I'll give you a couple quick examples. The Friday Focus is the single best leadership tool I ever used in my life. It came out every single Friday. I never missed for eight years, never. If we got out the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, there was a Wednesday edition of the Friday Focus. You know what the Friday focus is? It's my belief system in front of my teachers every week. Do you know why I have my belief system in front of my teachers every week? Because I have teachers sharing their belief system in front of their teachers in the teacher's lounge every day. And if they don't get to hear mine, they start to believe theirs. You know what my belief system is centered on? How lucky we are, how blessed we are, how thankful we are, how fortunate we are. Do you know what? How would you like to be in a profession that doesn't matter? And let's be honest, most professions don't matter. They don't matter. You happen to choose one that matters. How lucky we are, how blessed we are, how thankful we are, how fortunate we are. And how many of you have people that once in a while in your school, their belief system is how unlucky we are, how cursed we are, how overworked we are, how underpaid we are. And I'm not making light. Our jobs are hard and it's not the hours. It's the intensity of the job that makes them so hard. There is no easy in education, but I've got to have a belief system about how lucky we are, how fortunate we are, how blessed we are, how thankful we are. That's got to be my belief system all the time. So that was the, one of the things that's the running dialogue. Faculty meetings, great principals have faculty meetings teachers look forward to and value. Other principals either don't have faculty meetings or people don't look forward to and value. Pretty quick self-check, isn't it? My central office friends, did you know central office people, outstanding superintendents and central office people have meetings principals look forward to and value, and others either don't have meetings or people don't look forward to and value. My principal friends, you ever gone to a meeting at central office, you want to take a letter opener and stick it in your thigh to make sure you're still alive? (laughs) Matt's nodding a lot. So much for that compliment of the superintendent. <laughs> Anyhow, it's the same way in terms of the principals. My teachers have you have, but, but what happens is the biggest disadvantage a leader has is they've never worked with a great leader. See, if you haven't seen your leader take responsibility, you don't take responsibility when you become a leader because you don't think you're supposed to. And so, but it, the, think of what an advantage it is for a principal. If you've had a principal that had faculty meetings people look forward to and value, look how easy it is for you to start to have faculty meetings people look forward to and value. One last example, and this is, is the type of thing that is an event, and I try to be, 
But the events only matter if you couple them in credibility all the time. Uh, one, of, one of my times when I was a principal, the first faculty meeting of the year, which by the way is the most important event you will ever have. And so when your teacher, when your students come back and your teachers come back, that first faculty meeting with them is the time to move the culture forward. But anyhow, um, it was in August and we gathered and uh, we gathered demographic information for teachers. You know, they double check the same mailing address, same phone number, you know, this kind of stuff. And I added parents mailing address. So on the little form you fill out as a teacher, as an employee, I added parents mailing address. I couldn't go in and gather that information because my teachers would badger me and go, what do you want that parents mailing address for? But I sent a secretary that was gifted at playing dumb. I mean, gifted. Anyhow, she went in and they were going, what does she want this information for? And she goes, who knows? Because she didn't know, because I didn't tell her. Who knows? So they fill out this thing and they put parents mailing address. That fall, I have that same secretary go out and take pictures of everybody in the school doing what it is they do. Teachers teaching, cooks cooking, custodians custodianing, bus drivers bus driving. When we walk out the door at Christmas vacation, we put a Christmas card in the mail to the parents of each one of our faculty and staff members. And it had a picture of them doing what it is they do in our school. And inside it, we wrote, we'd like to share with you one of our valued treasures here at Lewis and Clark Middle School. He or she, we had gender specific, makes our school a wonderful place to learn. We wish you an outstanding holiday season or something like that. It's in the book, Motivating Inspiring Teachers. And I'm not trying to sell a book. I'm doing it so you don't have the wrong language. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. There's examples in there of the Friday Focus in which I literally break down every word in something. Why did I use a name? Why did I not use a name here? Why did I say this? Why didn't I say this? Why did I do? And it's not to sell the book. I don't care if you have a, a copy, you just get it from people and one copy gets lent. It's so you do it right. That's it. You do it right. Our jobs are hard. No reason for them to be harder. Um, I would say it's a lot easier to criticize a leader than it is to be one, let me tell you. So anyhow, then we also, because I didn't know whether you had parents, your personal situation, sent a Christmas card directly to you with a picture of you, the same picture of you on the front that said, may the love you share with students be yours this holiday season. We wish you, wish you and your family a wonderful Christmas season or something along that line, and myself and my assistant principal signed it. Matt, that was incredibly powerful. That was incredibly powerful. But do you know something? If I don't treat you with respect and dignity every single day, those Christmas cards are a joke. But if I treat you with respect and dignity every single day, that Christmas card is the nicest thing that's ever happened to you. I got so many notes from parents who wrote back and said, this is the nicest thing that's ever happened in my child's adult professional life. Nothing's meant more to me. But I want you to understand something too, and this is part of if, if you do it with, four, if 48 teachers out of 50 are doing it, look at you, pat yourself on the back, I get questions all the time, and these, these are sensitive good people, so this, isn't a, this is not a negative, who say, well, what if they don't have parents? What if, you know, they, 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 they don't? Two, there's two things to think about. One of them is, you could say there's two, pick out their spouse. You could try to see if you could find a, a, a child that they have, a, somebody that means something to them. But you know what? You also don't have to. Matt, if that happened to me now, and I've lost, I lost my dad years ago. My mom's 95 and she's doing great, but I lost my dad. Do you know all I wish? All I wish is that I had a principal like that when my dad was alive. I don't feel bad about it. It makes me feel special. And I just think, boy, I sure wish I'd always had a leader like that. And you don't have to top yourself. The next year, you don't have to think of something better. This isn't an event. It's not a contest. 
you know, I always think of it, it's not like a chain that one link gets broken. Instead, it's like a rope that every time you do something like this, a new fiber gets put on and makes that relationship stronger. You're not as strong as your weakest link. You're, you're as strong as all the different fibers that get built together so that we have that credibility and ability to lead and have people want to be that supportive. So that's an example of the type of thing that's an event. But if I don't do a Friday focus and I also don't treat you with respect and dignity every single day, there's no reason for me to send Christmas cards. Right. Well, I, I actually, uh, um, so that is a book that I own. And that was, uh, that was one of my favorite things that I had done. And I also got letters back from, uh, from parents of staff members. And that was awesome. And I appreciate it because no one knew it was your idea. No, I look pretty good at that moment. So uh, <laughs> I have no interest in anyone thinking it's my idea. No, it, it was great though. When I was looking through your information and it said you wrote 50 books, it is amazing to me that somebody can write one book. And so writing 50 is incredible for anybody that does not own a number of your books. I think they're missing out and you have so much insight to give. And so if you don't mind, if I ask you one final question, Sure. Um, if you were going to give one actionable step for, uh, for leaders listening right now that they could do today that would make the biggest difference, what would you say that one step should be? There are very few things more powerful than a well-placed compliment. And confidence is the most valuable gift you can give. And it may feel awkward to you at first, you know, if, if that's not something you do a lot, but it won't. And it's just because you do it today, you've changed the climate. You never stop doing it. You change the culture. Do you know what the power of this, how many, I want you, everybody in the audience can think through this. How many people do you have who really make you feel important and special? There aren't very many. You know what? That leader, there's plenty of room in your heart for that leader in there. There's plenty of room because people don't do that. People don't compliment. People don't praise. People don't recognize. And I'm not talking about fake. I'm not talking about fluffy. But you know what? I don't need you to lose 35 pounds before you like me and complimented on your diet. You like hearing it the first time you're drinking a can of Slim Fast. <laughs> and so I'm looking for those opportunities all the time. One teacher does one thing. Try to recognize and value them. Here's the other thing. Here's another way to think of it. I hear from a lot of principals who wish their teachers had, were better at professional dress. You know, who, who dress more professionally. And I said, rather than trying to dig them out of a hole in February when they're wearing rip stuff, what are you doing at open house night to make them feel important and special? You have certain days of the school year, and this is everything. This is your professional dress is just a stupid example because right. it's an easy one to understand. You have certain days in every school, even in Arizona, you have certain days in every school that teachers dress better than other days. Am I correct, Matt? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The first day of school, back to school night, open house night, you know, you could have PTO meeting, whatever. What are you doing to recognize and value people then? so that, you, that, that help people know this is what's important and valuable. In my Friday Focus, I wrote, I heard so many people tell me how impressed they were with our faculty on open house night. They said how professional they acted, how polite they were, how professional they looked. They even mentioned they hadn't seen so many men wearing that many ties since they watched a Mormon Tabernacle Choir. You know, I mean, whatever <laughs> this is. And, and it's valuing that. So what happens is, what I have to do is, think of it this way. When you hire a new teacher, you only have one goal. That's for your school to become more like the new teacher, not for the new teacher to become like the school. And think about their enthusiasm. What's the enthusiasm level of a new teacher? It's sky high, isn't it? You know your first goal? Keep it there. Instead, what happens is we worry in February about how do we get it there? I don't know how to get it there, but I know how to keep it there. 
What are your teachers like? What's the enthusiasm, even of your worst teacher on the first day of school? It's way higher than it's going to be two months into the school year. Right. So what are you doing to keep it there? It's like I hear teachers say you have to earn kids respect. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. What are kids like the first day of school? They're great, aren't they? Did you earn that? That's a gift. That is a gift we get. I want to know what you're doing with it. And that's that same way to think of leadership. You have times that everybody in your school does better than they do at other times. What are you doing to stroke those things so that becomes the culture instead of it just being a climate? Yeah. I don't know if that's what you wanted, Matt, but that's no, the way that's I think. Great. What I really appreciate is that you have uh, all these little details and things that people can do. Um, and a lot of specifics, but at the same time, you're very real in like all of your comments about how it's not about an event. That makes so much sense to me because I feel like that people need to be genuine and there's a lot of people who don't have that. You know, I wouldn't necessarily follow someone even if they did these things. I was, I was just talking to a group of prospective principals. A district had me come in to work with, they have like a, a future leadership group that they have together. And they had me come in and I work with all the principals and work with their future leaders. And one of the future leaders said, and it was a huge district, one of the future leaders said, um, uh, my principal plays disco music over the uh, intercom and then dances every day in the hallway. And I don't know that I could do that. And I said, you don't need to do that. And you know what's weird? If they're great, they don't need to do it. But if that's their personality, great. But that doesn't cause you, you know, we used to have a dunking booth. Uh, when I was, a, we'd have this spring festival thing and we had a dunking booth and kids would line up at two teachers, the best and the worst. <laughs> they do it the best because it was fun to play with them. You know what I mean? The, the best teachers going, come on, try to hit me. I bet you can't hit the little target. I bet I'm going to, you know, and then they, they, they'd egg the kids on that way. And the worst teacher, they wanted to just nail that teacher. And so understand this. If people don't think highly of you, your dance moves are stupid. Right. And if they think highly of you, you can't dance. And people think it's the most beautiful event they've ever seen. And that's part of what that is. So you're right. Your own personality has to come out. And if you're sincere, praising and complimenting, nobody cares what your background is. Nobody cares. They just, they're just glad you're their leader. People don't quit their jobs. They quit their bosses. Yep. I love that. Okay? Last thing I want to tell you is I'd like to thank all the dynamic school leaders. During this time, you are showing the world what leadership is really about. You're taking responsibility, you're communicating, you're being positive, and I just appreciate that tremendously. You all are incredible, and I just appreciate the leadership that our school leaders have shown. The other thing that's happened, as you well know this, people have realized teachers' jobs are really, really hard. Yeah. Because they got two kids at home, and they can't figure out what to do with them. And teachers' jobs are really, really hard. And I want to thank you and ask all educators to take care of themselves because you're needed. You have to take care of yourselves because you are needed for the rest of us. Thanks so much, Matt, for the opportunity yeah. to be part of your program. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and I wish you well. And uh, um, I hope everybody stays safe and healthy. And um, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate all your insight. Sounds great. And I'm nobody, but if anybody ever wants to get a hold of me, my website's at Todd Whitaker. I mean, my website's toddwhitaker.com and my Twitter handle's at Todd Whitaker. And I'm nobody, but sometimes our jobs get lonely. If you ever want to visit, call or give me an email anytime. All right, you're awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care, Matt. All right, thanks. Thank you so much for joining me on Asking for Directions. And a special thank you to all you educators out there that are doing the hard work every day. You truly make a difference, and I am blessed to be on this journey with you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you are notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast. And please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for joining me.